Alright. I'm talking about being family this morning. It's okay, you can laugh. <laughs> if you're in the fifth grade or younger, there is a service downstairs. We invite you to go to that. And... Um, For the rest of you, you might want to open your Bibles to uh, Luke's, not Luke's Gospel, Paul's letter to Romans. We're kind of uh, taking a short hiatus from Luke, and we're going to be looking at Romans this morning, and some other passages related to that. You recall that um, we were taking a bit to look at uh, some of the highlights of the first eight chapters of Luke's Gospel. And in looking at those highlights, uh, let me find my scripture here. In looking at those highlights, um, I had done a, a sort of retrospective analysis of chapters one through eight and kind of asked the question what themes keep coming to the surface? And hello. It is so nice to see you. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and uh, see what themes keep coming to the surface, you know, and kind of rising up. We looked at questions like, who is Jesus? There were about ten messages that we considered, you know, about uh, the identity of Jesus Christ. And then, how do we deal with temptation? How do we deal with the devil? There were about eight messages that had to do with that. One of the things that recurred a number of times were Jesus' admonitions to his disciples and to the crowds about godly behavior as a, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. What does that look like? How are we supposed to treat each other? How are we supposed to treat people outside the family of God? Uh, we have some more uh, events in the narrative of the public ministry of Christ that will come up illustrating those things like the Good Samaritan and, uh, and whatever and things like that. But the question is, what is our behavior supposed to be like? Now, I titled the message this morning, Recovering Godly Behavior. And the reason I did that is because God made us like himself. He made us in his image. He made us naturally with these things a part of our uh, you know, inherent personality and uh, character and attributes. And yet, when sin entered the world, it took us way off path in every single direction. And so as Jesus returns, uh, comes to earth to uh, bring us back to God, to announce that the kingdom of God has come, a part of that transition into God's kingdom and God's family is to recover what we were originally purposed to be, to start looking like that again, to begin to reflect it to one another within the family, to be begin to reflect that to, to the watching world. Jesus told his disciples, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. The way you love each other. That's the key. That's the sign that I am in you. 
because you will be different. Last week, uh, Vernon spoke to us about can a leopard change his spots, and he uh, used the letter to Philemon to illustrate in the lives of the three characters of uh, Philemon how God had changed them. And I want to remind us this morning that as I talk about this, the kind of transformation that the Scripture is holding forth is a transformation that can only occur when God is in the process doing it. The answer is, can a leopard change his spots? The answer is no. The leopard cannot change its spots. But God can change the leopard's spots. And we can't change our lives, but God can change our lives. So when... Uh, Jesus is talking to the multitudes or to his disciples, and when Paul, in the case of these verses I've selected, is talking to the churches, they're not playing games with us. They're not just holding out some kind of ideal and saying, well, you know, give it your best shot. They're deadly serious. This is how we ought to be. But we can't be that way apart from the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. You need God in order to make this transition. And I can't stop and be so redundant as to say that this morning every time we look at some new attribute. But I want to say it at the outset. I'm holding forth this morning a kind of behavior that should be true of us in the kingdom of God toward one another and toward the people around us, even if they're outside the kingdom, that should characterize our lives. And God is not kidding. But he has given us the power to be different, however difficult it may look uh, within our own selves. And so I've just uh, really selected only five of what could have been many, many passages. And uh, don't let the brevity of the outline deceive you. There's at least two messages here. Um, I saved uh, two of these points for next week in the first hour, and I'll do that here as well because there's just too much to cover. But uh, the truth is there could be uh, five sermons on each one of these points, and there could be uh, a whole host of additional points. The scripture is full of encouragement to let the life of Christ shine through us in particular ways. But I, I chose these because they seem to be uh, most pointedly directed at our behavior within the family, within the body of Christ, and because um, they also seem to reflect some of those things that Jesus has been saying in his personal and public ministry as Luke has recorded it for us. So the first one is found in Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. And as you're familiar with Romans, this is a transition moment. Um, Paul often lays a truth foundation, a doctrine foundation, and then he uh, turns a corner and makes a practical application. That's what Romans chapter 12 is. It's that corner-turning moment uh, when he starts out by saying, devote yourselves completely to God, give yourselves over to God, uh, that you can prove the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And then he talks about our giftedness, and then he moves down, beginning in verse 9, and he says, let love be without hypocrisy. 
Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing uh, hospitality. I want to take a moment and read that uh, for you in... um, the English Standard Version, because it, uh, I think it contemporizes some of the thoughts. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful. In your zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. What does it mean to be devoted to one another in brotherly love? That's really kind of like the pinnacle of this paragraph. What does it mean to be devoted to one another in brotherly love? And as I looked at the paragraph and thought about what he's saying and thought about Philippians chapter 2 when it says, Have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus, who although uh, he existed in the form of God, did not regard it equality to be equal with God. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, came in the likeness of man and of sinful flesh in order that he might do for us what we needed to have done, have that kind of attitude toward each other. What does it mean to be desiring one another's success, to be devoted to one another? And I think that's what it does mean. It means that I want you to be successful. I want you to be successful more than I want me to be successful. That's When you read the whole context, that's what it's saying. Uh, Preferring one another. Putting the other first. Have this mind that was in Christ. He gave up his rightful place in order to do something for us. So I want you to be successful. But what does that mean? To be successful. How do we define success? Um, I really believe that there's a very simple biblical definition of success. It means to be what God has designed you to be with all that that involves. It's not a trivial saying that God has a purpose for your life. David says that we were, he was, and by extension so are we, skillfully crafted in our mother's womb by God. That God designed us in our mother's womb. Um, One of the things, you've heard me share the testimony a number of times, but one of the things that made such an impact to me when God called me to preach is that he spoke to me from the passage in Jeremiah 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I have consecrated you to be a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb. That was particularly significant to me because I was adopted. And God is saying to me, you're not an accident. You didn't just happen. In my all-knowing providential mind and wisdom, I saw you before the foundation of the world. And Paul says that we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God had established before the foundation of the world. And so you were born with aptitudes. You have things that God gave you that you're good at, you're drawn to, you have potential for. You also, as a child of God coming into the family of God, have been given His Holy Spirit, and by virtue of having the indwelling Spirit, you've been given gifts, supernatural gifts that overlay with the aptitudes. They may, they may be different, they may be complementary. But God has crafted you as a very complex but whole person. And He's made you for a reason. And when you're successful, you're fulfilling that purpose. That's, the, that's success in biblical terms. I am being what God made me to be. Okay, now you're right on target. Sin is a distraction from that. Personal pursuits and desires are a distraction from that. There are other things that pull us away, but God has a path. And when we're in that path, we are content, we are filled with meaning and significance, We know that our lives matter because we're doing what God has made us to do and there's great fulfillment in that. Now, coming back to our verse, be devoted to one another. How does that look when I'm devoted to you in in brotherly love, when I'm desiring you to be what God has made you to be? You know, there, there are various relationships we had. Vernon mentioned last week when he was talking about the wedding of his daughters and saying uh, to uh, the, the bride and the groom officiating at the ceremony that um, first and foremost, they are brother and sister. God has first of all made them brother and sister in the body of Christ. And they have that relationship. Their marriage covenant exists underneath that, that larger context. Um, do you think of your marriage as the first place to manifest this kind of devotion? Do you want... You know, there, there would not be any need for marriage counseling if people got this. Um, the only thing that they would ever fuss over is who gets, you know, who, who gets to go last. <laughs> who gets to take the back seat? You know, I want to do it. I want you to be out there in the front. Oh, so that's the only thing that they would ever fuss over. Because 
translated practically in a marriage situation, a spouse desires for their partner to be successful. To be what God has called them to be. That requires an allocation of time. It requires allocation of funds. It requires encouragement. You know, it requires the, the, the coaching and the, and the attaboys and the celebration and, and everything that goes along with helping them to be what God has made them to be. Without regard to, 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 to yourself. And if both of you are doing that, that's a pretty neat relationship, you know? Um, that seldom happens, I'm sorry to say, even in the body of Christ. But Paul makes it rather plain in Ephesians 5 when he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her, washing her with water, clothing her in white raiment, making her to be all that she was intended to be by the cost of his life. That's how you're to love your spouse, husbands. And there's reciprocity there as well. There's also this same kind of attitude toward our children. To desire the success of our children. To want them to do well, to want them to be what God has made them to be. You, you hear me when we have baby dedications, but I, I haven't expounded on it in a while, but train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old he will not depart from it. Means don't try to push that kid into a mold that you enjoy. Find out through prayer and observation and, and, you know, playing with them and talking with them and watching them. What has God made them for? What are their aptitudes? What are their abilities? What are their gifts? Now give yourself to that purpose. They're not your kids in the sense of ownership. They belong to God. That's why we dedicate them publicly. Lord, I have a stewardship. It's a child <laughs> made in your image. I want this child to be what you have made him or her to be. I'm going to allocate funds. I'm going to allocate time. I'm going to allocate prayer. I'm going to allocate investment. I'm going to make sure that there's success here to the best of my ability. That's my calling. And then we can bring it into the context of the church family. This should be the most delightful place to be. Did you know that? This should be the place when the world beats you up and your job beats you down, you know, and, 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 and the bills wear you out and all those other things compete to take a piece of you. This should be a place where you come and find great encouragement, great blessing, where people 
rally around you and they're for you and you know, man, I walk in the door and they, they love me here. They, they make me feel good about myself. They like me. They want me. And they want me to grow in Christ. They want me to be on the right path. They're not encouraging me to do some stupid thing. They want me to go in the right direction. This, this group of people is, they've got my back. I can count on them. Because we're devoted to one another in brotherly love. The problem is, friends, we get so distracted that we hardly know each other. Look around you right now, just to just look, identify six people around you. Do you know their name? Do you know where they work? Do you know if they're married or not? How many kids they have? Grandparents? Do you know what grade they're in? What do you know about the people around you? How can we pray for one another? <laughs> did, you, did you see that one? Um, constant in prayer. If you don't know anything about the people around you, you're going to run out of stuff to pray for very fast. What do you know about them to pray for them? Do you know what they're going through right now? Do you know what struggles they're having? Do you know what their last big success was? Their last big attaboy? Have you congratulated them? Do you know what's going on in the lives of the people around you? That's what he's talking about. We're to be a family. We're to be a community. We're, we're to be the kind of place where you come and people all focused on Jesus Christ are devoted to one another. Wanting the best, hoping the best, praying the best. Invested. Do you know those things about the people around you? I left room in the outline deliberately. It's so you can jot things down. I've talked to you about, in, in, in a marriage relationship, I've talked to you about with children. I've talked to you about with one another in, the, in this body. Is God speaking to your heart about something that he's suddenly brought to the top of your mind and says, you need, you need to be doing this, whatever this is. You need to be doing blank. Maybe it's just like introducing yourself and saying, hey, you know what, I don't know very much about you. Who are you anyway? <laughs> I've been sitting by you for two years and I don't, I don't know you. <laughs> What is your last name? <laughs> I don't know. You know? What's God saying to you? Write it down. Make a note. Make this practical. Make it real. This is, I, I'm not up here this morning just spouting words so we can say, oh, that was great stuff from the scriptures today. I really like that. Duh. God wants you to be different when you hear his word. So what does he want to change? There's another side to this, because people don't always do well. Did you know that? <laughs> you don't need me to tell you that, do you? Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we mess up <clears throat> because we sin. We, 
we step out of the will of God, we know we've done it, we sin. Aren't you glad that in the most part, when you sin, nobody ever finds out? You ever thought about that? Most of the time you get away with it, aren't you glad? But what about those times when you get tripped up? And you go splat, and, and everybody knows, wow. You know, and it, 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 could, be, it could be a big mess. And um, now you're not riding the crest of the wave. You have really failed. You're going down. What about those times when life just crashes in on you? You know, you can be going along, everything's going well, you're kind of in the groove and you, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're feeling good about it and everything's going along and then something happens, there, there's an accident, there's a, you get injured, you lose a job, you, something happens and it depletes you financially. A relationship you thought was on target just goes south and you're just mystified. I remember the day my brother called me and he thought he had a great marriage. He really did. He said, well, we got our usual troubles. He came home and found the, the toast glass for the couple, the only remaining piece of crystal or dinnerware in the china cabinet. The house is bare. The moving van has been there and taken away everything that was hers, and she's gone. No warning, no discussion, no preview. Here, keep the glass. Wow. You know, and you're devastated. I mean, you're just devastated. What do you do? The, the next thing the scripture says is bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Look at Galatians 6, 1-3. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Notice that Paul does not assign surgery, spiritual surgery, to brand new Christians. You who are spiritual. There's a problem with a, a, a brand new Christian they're liable to just wink at everything and pass it all over and say, well, hey, everybody makes mistakes. And, and you get to be a little older in Christ and you got the rules down, but you haven't figured out the grace part and you're ready to get those people that are out of line. Paul assigns this task to the spiritual. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. When someone is caught in sin, but... It doesn't just have to be sin. It, it, it can be any kind of failure where I'm kind of down for the count. And the scripture says, in generalities, it moves, it moves away from correcting a sin problem to bear one another's burdens. It means literally to lift the weight. 
to lift the weight. We have a plaque in our house that says, a joy shared is doubled, and a grief born is halved. That when you come alongside of each other and rejoice together, it multiplies the joy. And when someone is bearing a heavy load and you come and step beside them and begin to lift with them, that you take some of the pain and the stress away. And one of the things that we are also to be for one another is a place of healing, a place of hope. We are to find amongst ourselves those who will come alongside and encourage us. You know, I am so grateful when I go to God and I have messed up in one way or another and and I go to God, and I have never, ever heard him say, you know, Paul, I'm just sick and tired of hearing about this. This is like the umpteenth time, and I'm just fed up. Just get out of my face and go fix yourself. I'm tired of fooling with you. We treat each other that way sometimes. God never treats us like that. There's always hope. There's always encouragement. He wants us to succeed. The the price has already been paid for the sin. We're moving on to victory. God wants us to be back on our feet. And so he says to us through Paul, "You, you who are spiritual, someone's messed up. You come alongside of them and you better keep an eye on yourself because you're not perfect either. And... Bear each other's burdens. Life is messy. And we are called to get in the mess sometimes with each other. People need others to come alongside of them. And, and you know, sometimes I, I was saying this morning, I was looking at some individuals that are going through some tough times, and I was thinking about some pretty trivial advice they've been given. When people say, pray for me, they're not saying, give me advice. Listen to what they said. Pray for me. That doesn't sound like, tell me what to do. That sounds like, talk to God on my behalf. Pray for me. I don't know what to do, but I really don't want you telling me either. But I do want you to pray. Um, and then there may come a time when they say, what would you do in my situation? Oh, then you really better pray. You really better pray, because they don't really want to know what you think. They want to know what God might be saying into their lives. But, again, look around you in the room. Are there people in this room that you can share your struggles with? that you can talk about your failures, that you can ask for help in dealing with your sin problem, that you can be honest with about your depression and what gets you down. Are there people around here you can talk to? If there's not, there's something wrong. Because we are called to bear each other's burdens. 
to get in the yoke together, to lift the load, to... Do you know what the difference is between empathy and sympathy? Sympathy is, oh, I feel so sorry for you. Too bad. Empathy is, I feel your sorrow with you. I'm hurting with you. You know, sometimes the only thing you can do is sit down and cry with someone. There's, there's nothing to say, there's nothing to do, but it's just helpful to have someone sit beside you and feel the pain. I'm not alone in this. Everyone that goes through trouble, I don't care if it's a job loss, I don't care if it's a sin problem, I don't care if it's a health disaster, Everybody going through a problem like that, do you know what a common feeling is? Loneliness. I'm the only one on this path. I'm the only one feeling this. That's not true. But you won't know it unless someone else comes alongside. To be company, if nothing else, to be company, it's lonely. And you need encouragement. And so Paul is, is telling us in, in these two passages, and I'll wrap up with that this morning, in these two passages, first of all, we need to be committed to each other. Are, are, are we committed to one another? I mean to the point that we're putting each other ahead of ourselves. We, I really want you to do well. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to... Get invested in you. I'm going to find out what's going on with you. I'm going to encourage you. I want you to do well. And if you fail, or you have a hard time, or something slams you out of the blue, and, and, and you don't even know what hit you, I'm going to be there. And I'm still going to be loving you, and I'm still going to be praying for you. And I, Is God saying something to you there? Someone you need to get in the yoke with? Is he putting someone on your heart? Write them down. And ask God what the next step is. Don't just take what I'm saying this morning and say, okay, that's that's okay, sermon. Let God show you the next action. And remember, you can't change your spot. You need him to do that. But you go and say, Lord, I'm not this way. But you are, thankfully. Uh, And I feel like you want to do this in my life. Would you start the process? Make me different. Um, Show me how to love. Help me get my eyes off myself. Wouldn't it be a fun place if we were all like that? Man, I can't wait to go to church. I can't wait to get with those people. They're so good to me. Wow. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your word to us. And I pray this morning that you would um, make us the kind of people that... Uh, know how to encourage and know how to sustain, that know how to pray and know how to love and know how to be committed to one another. 
in brotherly love. Remind us, Lord, that there's always a price. It takes time. It takes investment. And thank you that we can count on you to meet our needs. It's a beautiful synergism when it all works the way you intended. In Jesus' name, amen.